Let's just look at the sequence of events, shall we? On February the 6th, 2024, after over a year of intense negotiations, India and Qatar signed a $78 billion natural gas supply agreement for 20 years. That is, till 2048. Building on a 25-year-old agreement that was due to expire in 2028. India and Qatar signed long-term contract for LNG sale and purchase agreement for purchase of around 7.5 million metric tons per annum liquefied natural gas. This contract will provide momentum to India's journey towards energy self-sufficiency and increasing the share of gas in energy mix from 6 to 15 percent by 2030. Just six days later, on the 12th of February, Qatar freed eight Indian Navy veterans after 18 months who were convicted of espionage charges and facing death penalty for allegedly being involved in selling secrets involving Qatar's nuclear submarine program to Israel's, Doha's arch enemy in the region. Indian Ministry of External Affairs welcomed the release of eight nationals who were detained in Qatar. Right here, the Indian government stated that seven of them returned to the country. New Delhi appreciated Doha's decision to enable the release and homecoming of these nationals. Shortly thereafter, Prime Minister Narendra Modi was also in Doha on the 15th of February to meet the Qatari Emir and other officials to improve bilateral trade and investment ties between both the countries. Mind you, all of this happened within a span of 10 days. On the face of it, all the three events may seem unrelated. But are they really? I do not think that one is unconnected with the other. The allegation, and I say allegation because we have mm. not seen court documents or the actual charges against the Indian right. Navy right. personnel. Right. I think the Indian system has worked very hard over the last year and a half to A, convince them otherwise, B, work quiet behind the closed doors to secure a royal pardon, so to speak. Mm. Uh, yes. In December, we got they, their death penalty was commuted to life. So none of this is unconnected. All this is part of the deal that has been worked on. Modi, if you know, met Sheikh Tamim in Dubai, I think it was in December. December. That's the Emir of Qatar. That's the Emir of Qatar. Met him on the sidelines of COP28. That is Indrani Bakchi the former foreign affairs editor of the Times of India and now the CEO of Ananta Aspen Centre. Qatar is a tiny, tiny country boxed in between Saudi Arabia, UAE and Bahrain with the Persian Gulf and the Dohat Salwa Bay on two sides. But it has oversized ambitions. In West Asia, India's strategic allies are UAE and Saudi Arabia. They, on most days, do not see eye-to-eye eye with Qatar. But just like we ruffled European feathers by importing oil from Russia, are we, in the name of energy security, alienating our Asian friends with whom we have far deeper bonds? No, why should it? A commercial agreement is a commercial agreement. 
and uh, this is not the first time that we are signing as you right as you said we are renewing the contract Qatar mm-hmm. provides uh, India with almost 95% of its gas and LNG in mm-hmm. LNG form none of the others except Iran actually have gas besides uh, please understand that UAE and Saudi Arabia are our new strategic allies for mm. decades it was iran that was our strategic ally in that region and mm. uh, the saudis and the uae even qatar to some extent saw us through the prism of pakistan and we mm. saw them through the prism of pakistan so this is a relationship this strategic friendship that you are watching grow every day today is actually little more than a decade old in its present avatar of course the kind of strategic investment that they have made into india or india has made into them is of a much more recent vintage but to go back to qatar qatar is a very important source of lng and lng is important to india because lng is i think we have resolved that particular debate within this country that lng is our transition fuel and mm. given india's size and given the diversity of development in india and that means we will need almost every known and unknown source of energy coal yes we still need it even if we don't like it at least for now crude oil hydrogen that can be gray green or blue sodium rare earth you name it we need it till the time we hit our renewable or ambitious net zero targets and of course liquefied natural gas or lng in case you have been wondering what we have been talking about all this while natural gas is used to power automobiles power plants furnaces and factories and our kitchens under its one nation one gas grid initiative we are building a nearly 34000 kilometer long natural gas pipeline to increase the availability of this fuel across the country because natural gas produces 40% less carbon dioxide than coal and 30% less than oil it is considered a cleaner fossil fuel by swapping coal with lng one can bring down the emissions by approximately half as per estimates by consultants wood mckinsey lng is very important and yeah. therefore it's no surprise uh, that lng the lng uh, deal was renewed clearly then this shows the rising heft of new delhi in the region let there be no doubt Diplomacy and energy economics are two sides of the same coin. From getting the death penalty changed into a life sentence and then a royal pardon to get the Indian prisoners back home, this dialogue with Doha was no less than a coup. And once you throw in a multi-billion dollar gas contract in between, you have a belter. It's Wednesday, the 28th of February, and in this episode of the Morning Brief, we have two very special guests decode the commerce and foreign policy aspects that stitched it all up. From the Economic Times, I'm Arjit Barman, 
your host for this episode, which we are calling Dialing Doha, how an LNG deal is reshaping global politics. First and foremost, I would say it underscores the importance that India is attaching to security of supply. Vandana Hari, founder Vanda Insights, an energy intelligence platform, surely knows her LNG from Brent. After spending over a quarter of a century providing intelligence on the global oil and gas markets to executives in the energy industry as Asia Editorial Director at SP Global Plants. My colleague and co host Kalpana Pathak caught up with Vandana to break down the energy economics for us. Now, Kalpana and I were to host this show together, but she has lost her voice and is under the weather just like every second person in Mumbai. Blame it on pollution and our addiction to fossil fuels. So now you know why environment is becoming everyone's problem. But I digress. So let's go back to the LNG shipments. So if you look at uh, India's LNG imports and the 7.5 million metric tons accords for almost a third of India's current LNG imports. And given that the tenure of the deal, which is from 2028 all the way to 2048, it underscores how India is taking a very long-term view in terms of securing gas supplies. Now, what we do know from uh, reliable sources is that India has managed to get the pricing formula such that LNG will be somewhat cheaper than in the current contract. Somewhat cheaper actually translates to a saving of $6 billion in gas bills for us for over two decades and will help us meet a third of our energy demand. At the same time, it will also raise the share of natural gas in the country's energy mix. In fact, more than double it to 15% by 2030 from the current 6%. Being a renewal of an existing contract means it's a win-win for Doha too, as it ensures a long-time off-taker of its gas, which India this time has used in its favour to swing several favourable terms. One of those changes is that uh, India is moving from getting the LNG on an FOB basis, which essentially would have meant that India has the responsibility of transporting the LNG from Qatar to India to delivered basis or DES as it's known in the uh, LNG markets. Essentially, it helps India sort of de-risk the supply chain. So I think that's a good deal for India. I understand also that there's um, flexibility in terms of which port India wants to particular LNG cargo to be delivered to. uh, India will be able to choose. There's also a supply or pay clause. As we know, LNG contracts always had a take or pay clause, which essentially put the onus on the importing country that they have to take uh, LNG. And for whatever reason, if they're unable to take certain cargoes, then they have to make up for it. So essentially, it was a protection for the supplier. But the supply or pay clause is actually a protection for the buyer. And I think this has become important uh, because, again, as we saw the past couple of years, 
major upheaval in the LNG markets, major spikes, and quite a few LNG buyers suffered because their term suppliers chose to divert LNG into the LNG into the spot market uh, where they were getting better prices. But before we proceed any further, let's understand how LNG gets transported from the source to the buyer. Natural gas is transformed into a liquid state by cooling it to minus 161 degrees centigrade. This process reduces the volume and weight of natural gas, making it easier to transport by ships. India imports around 45% of its LNG demand, as domestic gas production makes up for the rest. But that still may not be enough to achieve the government's gas target, especially if domestic production falters. So, the Qatar deal was absolutely critical. There's a renegotiation clause as well, uh, which has been introduced, which allows India to renegotiate the pricing formula uh, should it turn out that in the coming years. Well, so, in all respects, I think India has come out winner. And um, I would think probably Qatar is quite pleased with this as well. Even with the world's largest gas reserves, Doha realized that India has other options. Thanks to global warming, the Russian routes have been thawing and Siberia emerging as a source to reckon with. Russia diplomatically is untouchable for US and most of Europe, thanks to the Ukraine war, but India has already been sourcing crude. You know, I think the way India is uh, strategizing its gas imports, it's not going to put all its eggs in one basket. In the short to medium term, I would say that Russian supplies are a little bit under a cloud. The uh, Arctic LNG2 project, which was expected to start up last year, has been delayed because Russia has not been able to get the ICE-class tankers that it needs to supply. So just a short to medium term, I think it might be better for India to wait and see how things pan out in terms of Russia's ability to complete and to be able to deliver the LNG from the projects that are coming on stream. So it's not just energy security but energy affordability as well. The latter, I think, has come out very loud and clear, especially in forums like COP28. You know, India made it very clear. In fact, India was seen as a very important voice of the global south, where countries are saying that security of supply, reliability of supply, and affordability, and, you know, ensuring that energy is accessible to all their population is as important as transitioning to green energy. At the same time, India is also doubling down on greener energy sources. And of course, India is also looking at green hydrogen. So I think India in that respect has become very, very clear, charting a very clear course and articulating it in terms of its energy strategy. As I said before, this is as much foreign policy as it is commerce. So I turn back to Indrani Bakchi, CEO of Ananta Aspen Center, to help us turn to the right diplomatic direction. 
Qatar basically arrested eight Indian men thinking they would leverage them for better deal with India. Okay. But I don't think India is, I mean, in, Qatar does not regard India as an enemy. India does not regard Qatar as an enemy. Why should it? We are among the largest buyers of gas and they are the largest seller of gas. And gas equals dollars. Yet, one thing still baffles me. Outside of energy, we have $15 billion of bilateral trade with Qatar. There's a significant Indian expat population working and living in Qatar. But from time to time, we've seen Qatar using various state or non-state actors, including its media, Al Jazeera, to criticize India on various domestic policies. From Article 370 to NRC to anti-CAA to Kashmir in particular. So, is Qatar a true friend or an opportunistic one? There are no true friends in the world of international relations. Everybody works according to their interests. Qatar is an interesting country because Qatar is a tiny, tiny little emirate. And, but they're in very wealthy. If you know that Qatar, I think, has the highest per capita income in the world, which is mainly by selling energy, they have punched up well above their weight. And they have used their ideologies, they have used their territory as a crossing, as an intersection for different forces at different points in history. And Mm -hmm. uh, India is not immune. I mean, if you say in Al Jazeera is an arm of the Qatari interests, I think many would agree. It's not just been used on India. I mean, they have Mm. gone after the Saudis. They played a very big role during the Arab Spring. It's not just one event in isolation. Doha has leveraged the fault lines of the region. Shia versus Sunni, Arabs versus Persians, to its maximum benefit. Remember, Qatar was one of the biggest financiers of the Islamic State. They supported the Muslim Brotherhood for decades, which kept them at odds with both the UAE and Saudi Arabia, made them friendlier with Turkey and with Egypt. When Egypt was being ruled by the Muslim Brotherhood, which was just after the Arab Spring by uh, Mohammed Morsi, they were a big supporter of Morsi. Qatar has played this role. Qatar was also the place where the Taliban outsourced its diplomacy. Taliban set up its first embassy, so to speak, even as a non-state actor in Doha. That was where a lot of the negotiations with the Taliban and the West happened. Qatar actually gave a place for an embassy to what was then a terror group. So it's not new. Qatar has a very close relationship with Iran, which is frankly a geopolitical power in the region. But it is Mm -hmm. also a pariah because it is a Shia power when all around are Sunni powers. So sometimes Qatar plays the role of a dealmaker or that of a conduit in the middle or sometimes even more. Sometimes it is a mediator, sometimes it is a facilitator, sometimes it just provides a home for groups, people, sometimes it is a financier. 
and yep. uh, Qatar uses its money, resources, and ideology to be a player in the volatile politics of this region. And now it sees India as too big to play hot and cold with. And so even its sovereign wealth fund, Qatar Investment Authority, has woken up from slumber, realizing that compared to its Saudi or Abu Dhabi peers, it's somewhat late in the party and has started writing big checks for Indian startups as well as for large Indian corporate captains like Gautam Adani and even Mukesh Ambani. One of the best ways of entering the Indian system because with right. the Adanis and the Ambanis, you not only get certainty in your investment, you are not... This is a new market for them. The Adani Ambani, but given the fact that both these entities are a enormous, but they also carry a lot of political weight across the political spectrum. Not mm-hmm. only the ruling BJP right now, but whoever comes in if if and when the regime changes. Yeah. yeah. So that would be a, a good way of testing the Indian waters. And Qatar, I right. think, state has chosen well. Indeed, they have. My take. The great game of diplomacy and energy continues even today. Qatar has always punched above its weight and now New Delhi's outreach mixed with multi-billion dollars of energy contract has helped lubricate the landscape even better. As Vandana rightly said, it's not just about the source of the energy, but also about the shekels we pay for it. After all, we are the guzzlers of the gas, aren't we? High time we should have the upper hand. As the boss of Petronet LNG, the company that will receive the LNG, Akshay Kumar Singh puts it so emphatically. And with hard negotiations, we could finalize the deal, which is one of the best deals we consider it. And uh, it is in national interest and for ensuring the security of the energy supply for the country for 20 years period. It is a long-term deal from 28 to 48. And uh, it is linked with the Brent crude. That's it from Kalpana Patak and me, Orijit Barman. Thank you for listening to Dialing Doha, how an LNG deal is reshaping global energy politics on The Morning Brief. This episode was produced by Sumit Pandey, sound editors Rajas Naik and Indranil Bhattacharji. Executive producers Anupriya Nair, Anirban Chaudhary and yours truly. Thank you for listening in. If you like this episode, do share it on your social media networks. A new episode of the Morning Brief podcast drops every Tuesday, Thursdays and Fridays. But we are craving to come to you more regularly. So watch this space for more midweek episodes like this one that we are dropping on a Wednesday. The Morning Brief streams on Amazon Prime Music, GeoSavan, Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts and of course ET's own audio platform, ET Play. Have a great day ahead. Goodbye and good luck. All clips used in this episode belong to their individual owners. Credits mentioned in the description.